0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from two different places, um, from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and then from his letter to the church at Rome, beginning with um, Ephesians 6.18 and then Romans chapter 8 again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then from Romans 8, Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, Because the Spirit intercedes for the Saints according to the will of God may the Lord add his blessing to the reading hearing and understanding of his word we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the last two months you know if you've read the Old Testament you realize that you don't read much about the Holy Spirit there but the Spirit shows up throughout the Old Testament doing many of the same things that he does in the New Testament in the Old Testament we said the Spirit only comes upon certain people for certain tasks in certain circumstances but when you go into the New Testament and you begin reading the Gospel suddenly at the birth of Jesus the Holy Spirit begins to play a very prominent role in everything that takes place and in everyone's life associated with Jesus the Spirit is instrumental in the life of Jesus as the Spirit descends upon him when he's baptized In the Jordan River by John, the scriptures tell us that the Spirit guides and directs his life all through his ministry. And so we see in in Jesus' life, we see the intimate connection between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're one in purpose and everything. And then Jesus promises his disciples, right before he leaves, before that night in which he's betrayed, that the Holy Spirit would be for everyone who follows him. It says in John 16, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. And so the Spirit comes to Jesus' followers. Are we on a different scripture? (laughs) Interesting. Okay, well, um, go back. Go back more. One more. Right there. Stay right (laughs) there. Computers. They're wonderful when they work. And and they're a challenge when they don't always work. And so he he prays and he promises them that that when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. And so the Spirit comes to Jesus' followers on the day of Pentecost and that really marked the beginning of the church and its mission to share Jesus with the world and so the Spirit plays a very prominent role in the life of the believer then and now and we've seen that for the last two months you know tragically in many ways within the church usually we have very little understanding and often are confused about the role of the Spirit and last week we looked at the command in Ephesians 5.18 that were to be filled With the Spirit. And that's a command that is for everyone, for every believer. You see, when we commit to following Jesus, we experience a spiritual birth. We're indwelt by the Spirit. And that's a one-time event that happens in our lives when we come to faith and commit to following Jesus. We can never lose the Spirit because God promises that the Spirit is the seal, His seal, that we belong to Him. That we are His children. But now, the Spirit, you know, and even though we are indwelt by the Spirit, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're always filled with the Spirit. Why? Because Scripture tells us that we can quench or grieve the Spirit in our own lives and limit His work in our lives. And we have to understand that. When we fail to obey God's will for our lives or we don't seek to know more and more about who Jesus is and how he wants us to live, we limit the spirit's work in our lives even though we're indwelt by him. So being filled with the spirit is a, an ongoing activity all through our lives. It's not a one-time event. It's an event that continues to happen to be part of our lives. That literally it means we're supposed to be keep on being filled with the spirit. We're supposed to get, keep on letting the spirit live in our lives. To change us and empower us to do the work God has called us to. Well, you know, the filling of the Spirit, another thing it does is it gives us God's perspective on life. And more than anything, we always need God's perspective on life. And I shared last week, and I want to share it again, the classic example of this is found in 2 Kings 6. And the king of Syria was waging war against Israel. And he was being frustrated because the prophet Elijah was always speaking God's word and directions to the king of Israel. So the king of Syria was always losing and always frustrated. So when he heard that that was happening, he decided to send his army and his chariots to surround the city where Elisha was to capture him, to limit his ability to help Israel. And so in the morning, the servant of Elijah wakes up and he sees all the army of Syria rounding the village and he panics and he goes to Elijah and says, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And Elijah tells his servant, don't be afraid because those who are with them are greater than the army of Syria. The servant, I'm sure, at that point kind of scratches his head, really, I don't see anything. And so scripture tells us that Elijah prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant to see what Elijah saw to see the true spiritual reality that is taking place. And so 2 Kings 6.17 tells us, The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That was a spiritual reality. the, The Spirit allows us to see things as God sees them. The spiritual reality was there that God is greater than any army in the world, and he can accomplish and do what he wants. And so being filled with the Spirit is, is the opportunity for us, for God to open our eyes and hearts to see and understand just who God is, what He can do, and what He will do in our lives, in the world around us. So if you want confidence in life right now, in spite of life's circumstances, then we need to submit to the Spirit's work in our lives and seek that, to be filled with the Spirit, to let Him work through our lives, And so throughout this series, we've been talking about all the ways that the Spirit impacts and is absolutely essential to us as followers of Jesus. And this week, we're talking about the role of of the Spirit in prayer. In two places in Scripture, the New Testament, we're commanded to pray in the Spirit. In our reading today in in Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, meaning whenever we pray. And then we're told in Jude one twenty, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're asking a question, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit, to pray in the power of the Spirit? And I, as I said, you know, I've never really talked about this or, 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 or actually researched this in all my years. And, and I spent a good deal of time going through what this looks like and what it means and, and, and it, there's some very unique things here. And there's some things that are good and there are some things that are going to be very hard for us to hear as we go through this. And before we go there, we just need to recognize that the real power and significance of prayer from God's perspective You know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus, right now, is praying for us, is continuing to pray for us. Listen, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, Romans 8. And then in Hebrews 7, the scriptures tell us again, Jesus always lived to make intercession for them, for the saints. He always lives to make intercession for us, meaning he's praying for his followers, And then in our text in Romans today twice tells us that the Spirit lives to pray to make intercession for us. God is telling us to live as followers of Jesus. We need all the help we can get. (laughs) And he's saying that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is continually praying for us, asking for God's help in our lives, asking for God's will to be accomplished in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I need all the help I can get. If Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for us, then I think it's really important for us to understand how we are to pray and what it means to pray in the Spirit. First thing I would suggest to you is this. Praying in the Spirit is about God's will. It requires a listening heart. Now, let's be honest. When we pray, how do we usually spend most of our time praying? We usually pray for all the needs in our lives and the lives of the people in the world around us. We sp- usually spend most of our time talking to God and bringing to God our grocery list of what we hope and want God to do. That's where we usually spend most of our time. Anytime I pray with a group of people, that's usually where we spend most of the time is spent. We come to God and, sp- and ask him to do the things we think and hope he'll be doing. Now think about some of the verses that we read today, Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's an interesting line, all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul is saying that every time we pray, there are all kinds of prayers that we're to offer besides just bringing God our list of needs and what we want Him to do. And the Lord's Prayer that we pray today models that. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, there's only one request for our needs in there. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything else is about doing God's will. Hallowed be thy name, honoring him. Forgive us our debt as we forgive others, doing his will. Lead us not into temptation, doing his will. The whole Lord's Prayer is about that thing, doing God's will. So I ask you, you know, as you pray, as you spend time, time praying, where do you spend your time praying for? What's it centered around? Is it centered around God's will? Or is it centered around all the needs and requests, your grocery list of things you want God to do for you? Because Jesus is telling us in the Lord's Prayer, and, and our scripture today will tell us the same thing, that our praying is supposed to be centered around God's will. If we're only talking to God about our needs and wants, we are essentially only thinking about ourselves. And if we are only thinking about ourselves, then even in our act of praying, we are only being inherently selfish. Now, God is very interested in our needs. Scripture makes that clear. But he's also interested in much more than that. And if we're only talking to God about our needs and wants, then we are coming to God and acting selfish in how we approach God and how we deal with him. You know, I I, I really struggled with this text this week. (laughs) I sat and looked at it Wednesday. I usually write on Wednesday. I, I didn't write on Wednesday. So I figured I'd write on Friday my day off. I I didn't write on Friday. Finally, I wrote Saturday morning. Because I I think if we come to understand what it means to praying in the Spirit, that there are are some things here that are are, are incredibly key to how we pursue God and how we talk to him. Um, If we're only, again, if we're only talking to God about our needs, we are essentially only thinking about ourselves. And in, in fact, we are only acting incredibly selfish. So think about it. You know, there's confession. Forgive us our debts in the Lord will. You know, there's about living according to his will. Father, forgive those that sinned against us. Prayer asking us, lead us not to temptation. How? Lead, let, let us live according to his will. Deliver us from evil. So we need to think about how we pray when we come to God. What are we praying for? How are we honoring him in our prayers and then our text today points out to us clearly when it says likewise the spirit helps in our weakness for we do not pray what we do not know what to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us now think about what we're being told here we often don't know how to pray and that's essentially what we've just been talking about sometimes we don't know how to pray so we're being told that God and Jesus are praying for us Because we are weak and really don't know how to pray at times the right way. In other words, we tend to pray from our own perspective, inherently selfish. We tend to zoom right in and pray for our most pressing needs. And Paul goes on to say, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we're saying that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for us. Because we don't necessarily tend to pray that way. We tend to pray only for our focus on our needs and the, people, and the needs of people around us. And the, and the scriptures are being prayed one here and saying part of how we're supposed to pray is to pray for God's will to be accomplished in our lives. Think about it. Just ask yourself. Think about and reflect about when you pray. Is that how, isn't that how we tend to pray? We tend to go to the needs without spending much time worshiping or thanking God or confessing and admitting our weaknesses, our doubts, our selfishness or focusing on God's will for how we're to live. You know, I struggle with this. And I know whenever I pray with other Christians as a group, our prayers almost always go to our needs and wants. And so I think what praying in the Spirit means is that if we really want to grow and mature in our faith, that we need to zero in on seeking God's will and listening for what He would say to us. And that means asking God how we should be praying. Asking God what his will is in a particular situation instead of assuming that we know it. And that God will, will will match up to what I want. We're at a critical place in the life of our church. You know, we all have mixed emotions about what we've talked about, the idea of a merger, what's going to happen in the future. In some sense, we realize if that happens... Then what we know and experience here at 9 Academy Street may be changing in the not-too-distant future. And that's a little scary, and it makes us uncertain. And I understand that, and that's real. We have many conflicting emotions and thoughts. Do you understand how important it is for us right now that we begin to focus on seeking God's will more than ever right now for our own lives, for the church as a fellowship of Christ followers, praying God's Spirit It's about God's will. It's about seeking God's will. It's about a listening heart. Second, praying in God's Spirit is about relationship intimacy. It's about basking in God's love and assurance. And and we've talked a lot about this at length. You know, we talked about it in the role of the Spirit on February 12th, about the Spirit helping us to know our identity. If you weren't there for that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, it's on the website. Paul begins our text in Romans 8:12, saying, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, Paul is saying we're in debt to the flesh. We're not in debt to the flesh. But in reality, what he's saying, we're in debt to the Spirit, to Jesus, for what he did at the cross. So what does it mean to be in debt? You know, to be in debt means that we owe something to someone else. They have a controlling influence in our life. You know, for instance, as a nation, at one point we were the world's largest creditor nation, but now we are the world's largest debtor nation in our world. We owe more money to people outside of our nation than any other country on the earth. Our national debt is out of control. Our government spends more than we take in year after year. As a nation, we're in debt to China. China supposedly is our enemy. If they were to call in all our debt, our government would be bankrupt, our dollar would be worthless, our economy would collapse. But they probably won't call in a debt, because if they did that, the whole world would tank. <laughs> but we are in debt to them. But individually, when we use a credit card and don't pay it off each month, we're in debt to the bank. When we take out a mortgage, the bank owns our home, and we're in debt to them. And if we stop paying on the mortgage, we lose our home. If you rent... You're in debt to the landlord. If we stop paying, we can be evicted. You know, why do you think there's so many homeless at different points in time? They've lost their ability to pay and live. And they couldn't manage it. So Paul is saying that whatever we value most in life, and that's what he's talking about when he says flesh, that we make our first priority to serve in our life, we are in debt and under obligation to them. They exercise control over our lives. There are many good things in life. God has created, is the author of every good thing. And he's given them to bless our lives. But when we make them our first priority, they exercise control over us and we're in debt to them. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be job, it could be spouse, it could be children, it could be family, it could be some relationship, it could be money, it could be some hobby cause, some hobby or cause, it could be sex, it could be pleasure, so on and so on. They end up exercising control over our lives. If we make them the priority, we're in debt to them. And at some point, that debt is always collected. They'll disappoint us or crush us by their demands. Or when we don't meet their expectations or our expectations, or when they're taken away from us suddenly. They call in the debt. What Paul is saying here is, is that we're told that one of the keys of praying in spirit is understanding that as followers of Jesus, our primary debt and obligation in in this life is to God and Jesus for what he has done for us at the cross. And that's a debt that will never cripple our lives. You'll never take that away. It can't be taken away. So Jesus sacrificed his life, experienced the ultimate pain and agony and separation from his Heavenly Father so that we would be forgiven, welcomed into his family. And so God wants us to know that we are unconditionally accepted, forgiven, adopted into his family. He's our Abba Father, our Daddy God. That means he will never leave us or abandon us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if we truly understand the gospel and what God has done for us, our primary and most important debt will be to God and Jesus for what he's done to us. So as we go to pray, we are going to be spending time praising and thanking him for what he has done. For who he is. For his steadfast presence, for his faithfulness. We're going to go to him and admit that at times we let him down, that we're selfish. You know, sin is really not about breaking the law as followers of Jesus. Sin is really about... Letting God down and not loving Him the way we we should love Him. And so the foundation for praying in the Spirit is understanding that we're a child of God and an heir to all the promises that have been given to us in Jesus and that nothing can separate us from His love or presence. Do you really understand that? Do you really delight in that knowledge so that when you go talk to God, You just overflow with praise and thanks for all that he has done. That's the foundation for praying in the spirit for God-honoring prayer. You know, Sue Ellen has spent this week in New Hampshire helping our daughter and son-in-law. Their first son, Benjamin, just turned two this Friday. And so for all this week, I've been talking to Sue Ellen. Every time I talk to Sue Ellen, Ben is right there at the phone. Of course, kids are fascinated by phones. I, I feel bad for them that they get so attached to phones so early. Um, but Ben is there, and, and he's, he's, he, he's a little slow on learning to talk, and, but it'll come along. But he, just, he comes right to the phone, and he says, Papa, 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 Papa. He wants me to pick him up. He wants me to hug him. That's a picture of how we're supposed to go to God. That's what Abba Father is all about, Daddy God. And so praying in the spirit implies that when we talk to God, we are going to him like Ben was coming to me on the phone, Papa, Papa. Praying in God's spirit is about relational intimacy. It's about basking in God's love and assurance. And then third, praying in the spirit is about being real. It's about meeting God in the midst of life challenges. You know, lots of times people will critique Christianity and Christians saying we're all about pie in the sky. That it's simply escapism, being so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Karl Marx wrote, religion is the opiate of the masses. What he's meaning is saying is that religion is used to disconnect disadvantaged people from the here and now, dulling their engagement and and dulling their sense of of standing up for social injustice. So it's something that inhibits and holds them down. In other words, religion becomes a way of suppressing the masses by getting to focus on heaven realities and keeping them stuck where they're living. And what we often fail to realize, even as Christians, is that the Bible is one of the most realistic books ever written. It tells us that this world is broken and messed up, whether we follow Jesus or not. Whether we follow Jesus or not, we're going to experience difficulties, challenges, disappointments, pain in life. It doesn't matter who you are, whether a follower of Jesus or, or, or not a follower of Jesus. We're all going to experience that because the world is broken. So following Jesus is hardly escapism, but is actually an acknowledgment of just how broken this world is. Because it starts with us. Because to follow Jesus, we have to say we're broken. So Paul writes, in the passage we read, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now what is groaning? <laughs> groaning implies a deep emotion of pain, a person crying out for help. So what Paul is saying is creation itself is crying out for help and groans and pain. Ever since the fall of the Garden of Eden, the created world has been corrupted. There are famines, droughts, floods, tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, so on and so on and so on. We hear about them all the time. And Paul is saying creation itself longed for the day when Jesus will return and restore the created world to what he intended. Then Paul tells us that we ourselves struggle and groan, longing for a different day when there will be no more pain or sickness or disease or disappointments or death, and so on, and so on. We long for a different kind of life. And Jesus came along, and what did he do? He gave us a foretaste of all that God can do and will do completely at a date in the future when he returns. And we want that now. We want everything to be fixed right now in our humanness. But scriptures are very honest and tells us that whether we follow Jesus or we don't follow Jesus, we're going to experience difficulties and pain in this life. Following Jesus is not about some Pollyanna view of the world that says God is going to make everything right and easy in our lives. If we don't understand that, then we're always going to be asking God to fix everything in our lives. And if he doesn't do it the way we want, we're going to be profoundly disappointed and wonder where God is. The problem there is not with God. The problem is that we don't understand scriptures and God and who he is in this world. And so, you know, instead, what does he do? He promises to be with us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to provide for us whatever we need to walk through the circumstances of life in a way that is whole and peaceful and purposeful. That's what God promises us in this life, shalom, that sense of peace and well-being. We want everything to be right in our lives according to our expectations, and God says that's not going to happen. But I'll walk with you through everything in life, and when the storms come, your life will be like the house that is built on a solid rock, that rock being Jesus. And so when the storms and the floods And the ways of life come. You won't be overwhelmed. You'll be able to stand. You'll be strong and rooted. Knowing that one day God will make all things right. And nothing will ever separate you from his love. So prayer is, is not necessarily asking God to fix everything in our lives. Prayer is going to God and asking him for strength. To honor him and to live for him in the midst of our brokenness and pain. And sometimes God does intervene. Miraculously. It's the case with Caddy. You know, Dan, who who had 25% survival rate, pancreatic cancer is completely healed with Chris. But not always. And so what does Paul say about the Spirit? He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? That means God understands all our pains and difficulties and challenges. He feels everything we feel. The Spirit himself groans with a passion and emotion pleading for us because he knows the grief we experience, that we would find security and peace in God's will in the midst of the difficulties. He wants the best for us. You know, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus understands us because he was tempted in every way like us. Think about Jesus. He was homeless. His family thought he was crazy. His friends... Turned the backs on him. One of his closest friends betrayed him. He endured slander and gossip. His teaching was critiqued. His preaching was critiqued. His messages were rejected. Even though he only, only did good. His t- closest disciples didn't get it. He was unjustly and cruelly put to death. And the Spirit reminds us that Jesus understands our situation and he's praying for us. That we would have strength to walk through it. The author of Hebrew writes, Consider Jesus who endured from sinners and hostile." such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What does that mean for our praying? That means for instead of always just asking God to fix everything, maybe we ask him for strength to serve him faithfully. Or we ask him to help us learn what we need to learn in order to serve him better. Or we ask him to help us in the midst of the circumstances to honor and glorify his name, not just to take us out of the circumstances. Again, this goes way back to our first points. What is God's will? Are we seeking to submit to His will? Are we fully confident of His love and assurance that He'll never leave us or fail us? Praying in the Spirit is about being real, it's about meeting God in the midst of life's challenges. And finally, praying in the Spirit is communal. We learn to pray in community. You know, we somehow, as people, and I've been in church all my life, and this is true in every church, every place I've ever been, we somehow want to hold on to the notion that prayer is only supposed to be personal and private. And guess what? That's not a truth that comes from God. That's a lie that comes from Satan. Yes, we are supposed to pray when we're by ourselves. Jesus before the Lord suggests we go into our closet and pray. But prayer is never supposed to be just about us and what we want and want hope for, whether it's just for us personally or those around us. Everything in our text today, every time you read in the New Testament about Jesus praying or Paul praying in the scriptures, it's always about everyone who follows Jesus. It's always corporate, it's always communal. Think about some of the texts today. With this in mind, we'll be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We, it's our, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, all of us. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, all of us. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Everything is about us praying for one another. We need to be praying together because that is how we learn to escape from our own personal selfishness and begin to encourage one another to worship and praise God, to spend time in thanksgiving, to pray for God's will, and to confess our own selfish tendencies. Yes, we can still pray for the needs, but scriptures promise us that God will move mightily when His people come together to pray for His will united in one voice. Every major revival that has ever happened in history has only started when a group of people got together to pray. And they began to pray for God's will to be done in their lives, in the lives of the church, and in the lives of the world around them. Again, think about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus asked, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus said, basically said, when you get together, this is how you pray. It doesn't start, my Father who is in heaven. It starts, our Father who is in heaven. It assumes that they are together praying. Every pronoun is plural, us and ours. It's meant to be a corporate prayer for the church as a whole, not just an individual life. If we only pray as something that is personal and private, we will never grow and mature in our faith in the way that God wants us to grow we will be throwing up a roadblock to the Spirit working in our lives, in our midst as a community of Christ followers. That is a hard truth that we may not like to hear. But if we want God to really work in our lives and in the lives of our church, we need to get over ourselves. Prayer is not just personal and private. Prayer is meant to be a corporate endeavor of God's people. We're meant to come together to pray for God's will and for one another. And we will only really learn to pray in our personal lives the way God wants us to pray. We'll only really learn how to pray in the Spirit. We'll only really learn how to deepen our prayer life when we come together to pray corporately. I know today that I've touched on some things that are deeply personal to each of us. That's part of the reason why I struggle with this text, how we talk to God. I know that many and I'm not just talking about here, but every church I've been in struggle with this idea of prayer. But that is nothing unique to us here. I've grown up in the church in all life, and every church that I've ever been in where we've had corporate prayer meetings, there's only a few that pray verbally, and most people remain silent, either feeling intimidated by the others who are praying or feeling prayer is only private or just simply not knowing what to pray. Jesus has told us how we should be praying in the Lord's Prayer. He wasn't telling us to pray a rote prayer, although that's not wrong to do, but he was teaching us that whenever we come together, this is how we are to be spending most of our time praying for God's will, for his praise and honor, for his will to be done, confessing our own doubts and weakness, asking that we would live the way Jesus called us to live, forgiving others, dealing with temptation and evil. And then there is that place always to ask for needs because God loves us. But ask yourself, how do we typically end up always praying? God wants to develop a mature faith in each of our lives. He wants to deepen our faith so that we can stand in the midst of life challenges with confidence and hope. And one of the primary ways he does that is through coming together and learning to pray. There's no more critical time for us as a church than right now. Do we want to prepare and strengthen ourselves to deal with the challenges in the coming years? Do we want to see God's will accomplished here as we pursue what we believe is his leading, a merger? Or do we want to keep things the way they are? I understand all those feelings and emotions. The best way for us to walk into this coming year is to come together to pray corporately with one another, learning what it means to pray in the Spirit, praying for his will. Think about what it means. We've said first, praying in the Spirit is about God's will. It requires a listening heart. It means that we learn to ask and listen for what is God's will. We read scriptures, we learn what is God's will. We don't just assume that we know it, that our desires are God's will. Second, praying in God's spirit is about relationship intimacy. It's basking in God's love and assurance. You know, we'll never pray that way if we're not absolutely confident of God's love and presence in our life. Because we can't do this as a command. You know, Ben doesn't run up to the phone and say, Papa, 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 because I told him to do it. <laughs> I wish some of my other kids, would, grandkids would do it. <laughs> you can't tell them to do that. That comes spontaneously. And that's the same thing that, that God is saying here. If we don't understand that God loves us, that he is our Abba, Father, that he'll never leave us, then we will never pray in the Spirit the way God directs us and the Lord Prayer directs us. That's the foundation. So, if you're not confident and sure of that, go back and just say, Okay, God, you ought to be praying, God, show me how much you love me. Teach me to appreciate everything you've done for me. And dive into the Gospels and read about Jesus. Because that's the foundation. Third, praying in the Spirit is about being real, it's about meeting God in the midst of life's challenges. God never promised us an easy life. We need to stop asking God to make our lives easier and ask him to help us shine as bright lights in the midst of the darkness and difficulties we face. And finally, praying in God's spirit is communal. We learn to pray in community. And if we're willing to do that, we're going to see God do some amazing things in our own lives and the lives of our community as a whole, far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine.